Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chairman, Captain David Campbell. It's been a very busy week, as I'm sure you know, a lot has gone on, and I'm, I'm sure many of you are interested in the LOAs that have been signed and the fact that we're now bidding for the various incentive lines and leaves of absences that we've negotiated or that have been offered by the company. And we'll, we'll spend really this entire podcast on that topic. Today, I'll be speaking with your MEC chairman, Captain Will McQuillan, negotiating chairman, First Officer Chris Gruner, Membership Committee Chairman Will Swovlin and Strategic Planning Chairman Captain Ronan O'Donohue. We know that there are a lot of questions out there. We've, we've been receiving them, and I want to talk about a few of the ways that you can get some information. The, we've created a new page on the Alaska Pilots website at alaskapilots.org that is dedicated to the subject of the various leaves, incentive lines, and the retirement packages that we'll be discussing today. Navigate to the Voluntary Leave and Incentive Line LOA page, and I'll include the link to that in the show notes as well. And that page has the LOAs themselves, information about how to bid, a link to the recent webcast, and I'll talk about that in a moment, relevant podcast episodes, FAQs, and more information. And a, and a note, in the next few days, we'll have uh, frequently asked questions about retirement. That'll look for that, um, hopefully Monday, Tuesday-ish. And a lot of questions were answered in a webcast, a live webcast that we did last week. And if you missed that, a link to it is also available on this page I'm describing. If you still have questions, another great way to get information is to call the contract compliance number. And in addition to the contract compliance volunteers, we have a number of other committee members that are standing by to help answer questions about these topics. And that number, by the way, is 888-767-2228. Before we get started, Will, do you want to say any, any words? Well, thank you very much, David. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. You said a lot of that pretty well, that um, we're now, we've come through a lot in the last couple of weeks, and we've gone from discussions uh, about these staffing mitigation tools and these LOAs to actually having them live and available for the pilots to bid. Um, and information is key. I mean, for these programs to be successful, people have to absolutely understand them and understand a little bit about uh, bidding them and what the benefits are and whether or not they, they suit them and their families. So I did want to take the time today to dedicate uh, this podcast pretty much exclusively to that to make sure that uh, that the questions are answered and there is no shortage of questions. Uh, you said it pretty well. There's a, a good set of resources that we're building and uh, we appreciate the feedback that we've gotten from the pilots because it's helped us not only, uh, I guess, kind of craft what this podcast should sound like, but uh, also to help us refine our process and make it uh, more successful and, and hopefully a, a better outcome for everybody. So, uh, you know, with that said, I think probably the best thing we should do, even though it was on the last podcast, is take a few minutes and, and maybe let Chris recap exactly what our uh, programs are that are available for the pilots to bid. Yeah, I agree. And so let's 
break those up. And Chris, I'll have you describe each of them separately. But let's start with the retirement options. So um, the first uh, that we negotiated with management was the retirement extended incentive line. Walk us through what that means. Yeah, so on that, we were building off just our uh, extended incentive line program that I will describe here in a little bit. But the big differences from that program and this is that you will automatically be awarded a 24-month duration. Uh, The exception, obviously, is if you hit mandatory retirement age first. And then uh, you will be required to retire or otherwise uh, separate from employment if you're not retirement eligible at the end of that time period. Also, you will not be subject to uh, recall. So you're going to just play out the entire time uh, until the end. Now, of course, uh, at any time, if you decide that you want to retire, you can do so early. You just won't receive any of the uh, future benefits of the program. So a couple other differences from just a normal extended incentive line. Uh, You won't be doing any position bidding. So you're just going to remain in the uh, position that you are at the time that you begin the uh, program. And then also uh, at the end of the two years, there's a couple extra benefits. So you'll get uh, 400,000 Alaska miles. And um, if you still have time remaining between when you exit the program and you're eligible for Medicare, then the company will provide up to two years of fully paid medical. If there's still a gap at that time, then you can transition to our current contractual provisions, which allow you uh, 50% of uh, the current group rates. Um, to carry you until you are um, eligible for Medicare. All right, thanks. And, you know, for me, I think there's two really salient points to take in about that. One is it's a one-way trip. So if you choose it, you're not coming back to the company. And the other one is you, at any time, if you decide to retire, you can retire just like you normally would. You're not, you're not locked into a two-year period. Right. And there's one more thing I think that's important to point out, too, is uh, once you are awarded this, you'll have 45 days to rescind the award. Uh, We would rather you not do that because that's a slot you're taking away from somebody else. But I think it's fair to point out that, uh, you know, if you're considering one of these and uh, you change your mind at the last minute, you will have a few days to do so before you're uh, locked in. Right. So that's one early retirement option. The company also has proposed, or not proposed, has offered their own version of a retirement early out. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I will say we started out by uh, giving the company a proposal, and uh, they decided not to engage us on that proposal. Um, Instead, the company went with a company-wide, one-size-fits-all kind of a program. So uh, while, you know, we were adamant that a mutually agreed program would be better for both parties and think that's true in any situation. Um, this program still uh, could have value to pilots. So um, it's certainly an option out there for you if you choose to take it. Chris, do you have any sense of how many of these will get awarded? I think they're going to award as many as they can. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But what I do know is that number that they publish out to pilots, that's no kidding, just a baseline bottom number. They're looking to significantly over-award relative to that. If you look at the total number of EILs and the retirement options, you know, the 1,300 number that you see at the bottom of the page, if you're looking at the uh, bid bid packet, is the bigger number to focus on. 
So the big issue on awarding this is just going to be in balancing the bases, you know, because they are going to be awarded in strict seniority order uh, for the retirement options. Um, and we do have a tool in the REILs to allow them to award more without imbalancing the bases because they can delay the start of those by up to 60 days, or the company can at their discretion. And so that allows them to, uh, you know, award more than they would otherwise be able to. So run the operation and then fix the imbalance mm -hmm. with a subsequent position bid. And David, I want to put a, a kind of a finer point on some of that is that they have that ability and that is our expectation that they will over award them. But I certainly uh, don't want to over-promise, and we have made that point many, many times that the company needs to make that decision to over-award these for the program to be uh, as effective as possible, and uh, that that's obviously in everybody's best interests because our goal here is to obviously mitigate and eliminate a furlough. And I right. think that's one, Chris, it's a great point that you brought that up, and, and thanks for doing that because <coughs> it's one of the things that I'm, I'm getting hit with a lot um, from questions from pilots, it's just general confusion around that target number. So it is worth emphasizing again that, um, the, that the target number is just that, it's a minimum, but there is a, an appetite to way over award these things. So, um, but it is, it's the most common question that I get. And I think my point in clarifying that, Ronan, is just simply that uh, the company, if they focus on the financial uh, aspects of what an REIL costs or an early out costs, that that's uh, a little short-sighted. Uh, I want to leave room for the fact that we have a, a very um, broad view of the value of these programs and that actually we think that the, the value, it, the programs, you can't just look at the the cost of actually paying a pilot while they're on these programs, but rather there's an, a great deal of value in terms of having that retirement or um, that pilot move on and be replaced by a different pilot. Let's say, a, you know, a 30-year guy takes a retirement or real or even the company early out and then is replaced by a pilot who is a, a five or a six-year seniority range. Um, very different financial implications for the company, and they're quite favorable for the company. So there's no reason not to over-award it. So the next section of voluntary programs available to pilots to help with the staffing issue are the extended incentive lines. So again, Chris, if you'll walk us through those. Yeah, David, so the extended incentive lines are uh, based on our earlier incentive line program, but just a longer duration. Um, obviously, when you do that, there's a few other things you have to consider and address, so I'll talk to those a little bit now. But um, first of all, the links are going to be between 6 and 24 months. And then... Um, the company is also going to have the opportunity to recall you with 45 days notice. So while you may bid and be awarded a 24-month uh, incentive line, if the company gives you a heads up, you know, 45 days prior, they can bring you back, uh, train you, and, and get you back on the line. That's an important component there because that uh, gives them flexibility to um, adjust the staffing based on the demand that we see the downline and uh, grow the airline as, uh, as they're able to. Uh, a couple other pieces here. Uh, one of them is going to be training. So that's an interesting piece. You're not going to be doing the uh, currency and CQ while you're on one of these lines like you did previously on the monthly incentive lines. Instead, um, you won't be doing any of that. But if you are coming up on a 24-month uh, overdue or going on current by 24 months, then the company can choose to bring you in at that time to do a recurrent training before you hit that 24 month trigger and have to do a full program. 
So uh, if you do that, you'll just be paid uh, on top of the uh, 50 hours that you're already receiving. Additionally, if you're awarded an 18 or 24 month uh, line, you can choose to come in and do your CQ just prior to exiting uh, you know, the line and commencing one of these programs. And uh, you have to pick a spot though from uh, available time after everybody's bid it. So it'll just be if there's available simulator time. Right, and would that reset your base month going forward? Yeah, it certainly will. So any uh, CQ you do here will reset your base month. So that's an important point. Thank you for bringing that up. Sure. And if they do recall, do they do that in reverse seniority order for the the respective tranche? Uh, yeah, so the recalls uh, um, it's going to be from based on, first of all, the length of the leave. So they're going to have to clear out, you know, a if they're, they're going to recall by base position. So it'll be like a captain in Portland, you know, they'll look at those buckets and then it will uh, be from the shortest length to the longest length. So I have to get everybody back on the six month duration first before they move to the next one. The way they'll do that within each duration in base position is to offer recall first in seniority order, which you can bypass. And then if they don't get the uh, numbers or participation that they need, then they can require a recall in reverse seniority order until that duration is cleaned up, then they'll move to the next one. Okay, well, that, that makes sense. So the final grouping is the extended leave of absence. How is that different? Yeah, so this is uh, going to be also bid concurrently with the EILs, and we'll describe that process here in a minute. But um, the, the bottom line is, is uh, it's basically just a leave of absence with a, a few extra pieces. So you're going to continue to get uh, longevity and accredited service if you're on the DB plan and uh, continue to accrue seniority. Um, you'll keep your online travel benefits. Your offline travel benefits will only be good for 30 days due to the contracts that the company has. Uh, we're unable to get anything past that. Um, and then medical will be paid for two years. It's important to know too here that medical is going to be run concurrent with COBRA. So you won't have access to any uh, company medical after that two years is over. Now, as far as the duration of the program, so if you get awarded this, the company will contact you after the award and you will let them know how long you want to be gone for a period of one to five years. So if you are going to bid one of these, uh, I think you need to understand that you will be off property for a minimum of a year if this gets sent to you. Um, the other component here is you will be able to uh, go sign contracts at other jobs. There's no recall provision for the ELOA. Uh, it's very important to note, however, that if you are looking for an airline job, you need the uh, vice president of flight ops uh, approval. So uh, Captain Ladner will have to sign off on your um, job contract if you are flying with another airline. So we recommend that you do that ahead of time before you uh, are awarded one of these, if that is your plan. Okay, that's a that's a good caution. And, and actually, if I can, David, I'd like to put a finer point on that because I, I think we we're going to put this in the FAQs later. But we get a lot of questions about that, who people who want to take those extended incentive lines of like a 24-month duration and be able to go out and go fly. And so maybe, Chris, you want to put a finer point on what the difference is about, you know, what, can you, what kind of flying can you do on an EIL uh, of a 24-month duration versus the uh, extended leave of absence? Yeah, so on extended leave of absence, like I said, you go sign a long-term job contract, you know, within the confines of the length of the leave that you're on. 
if you're on an extended incentive line, you have to be available to return within 45 days. So that's the first piece. The second one is is uh, you need to look at the contract and uh, understand that uh, you can't fly for any competing airlines and any other restrictions since you are being treated as an active pilot you, you would normally have while you're flying as a pilot at Alaska Airlines will still apply. So you can do it, but you need to be very careful about it with the 45-day recall um, you know, with who, whichever employer you're working with, and then to respect the non-compete language that's in the CBA. Yep. And if there's any doubt on whether or not that um, you're complying with that correctly, it's always worth just being transparent and, uh, you know, working with your LEC rep in the, in the company to make sure you have complete clarity on, uh, you know, doing that, that the right way. Just to put a, a finer point on the duration options available to the extended leave of absence or ELOA, any duration that works for the pilot between one year and five year is is up to the pilot to decide. The company just expects you to be gone for up to five years. So if if 18 months is what you're looking for, tell them 18 months. If you need two and a half years, tell them that. But it's you, you have the full spectrum of one to five years to work with. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about the, the bidding process and really the more complicated aspect of, of it and how the awarding process will occur. Will, uh, or actually Chris, why don't you start with that? Yeah, so first of all, I want to point out here that we are going to change the awarding process from what we initially communicated. So uh, I'm going to take a minute here and and explain that and and why. So uh, to start off, you know, if you read the language that we agreed to uh, with the company, we're going to award these from uh, longest to shortest. And, And that's important because uh, we want to make sure that we are prioritizing those longer leaves because those are the ones that rebalance that long-term staffing, which is a primary goal of these uh, LOAs. Based on that construct, it creates a a difficult problem when you're bidding these out. And so I want to point out that we do take seniority very seriously. And uh, we worked really hard to uh, look at a way to award these uh, effectively and work through a lot of ideas. But after, uh, you know, receiving your... um, feedback. You know, uh, first of all, I want to thank all of you for your honest feedback to your LEC reps. Um, we definitely heard it through them and uh, they told us to take another look at this and see if we can make this uh, uh, better. And I think I want to add, you know, if people were wondering, well, what was wrong with it to begin with? Because I think there may be some people listening who didn't quite follow the nuance, but uh, it, it kind of it was brought to our attention that we do have a mandate, as you said, to award from the longest duration to the shortest duration, which is important for the success of the program and, and as I say, uh, mitigating any risk of furlough. But we kind of did that with the assumption that, you know, pilots would feel and have a great deal of transparency that it was going to be ample, ample amounts of each category of leave to bid on. And as we said uh, earlier in this podcast, the company published these numbers that gives the appearance that there's far fewer of certain categories to bid on which then pilots being problem solvers, pilots started to do math and look at it and say, well, the way that it was constructed in the original award process could conceivably, if they really were um, very few of these to be awarded, that uh, the seniority could be jumped. And so we had to, to do a little bit of a, a thought and craft a better process. And as you said, there are a couple of people who, and the membership at large that helped us uh, get there and realize that there was a better path forward. And so, uh, you know, they said this is how it's supposed to work, right? Yeah, so, Will, I think it's important on that note to uh, 
also just reemphasize that the numbers the company gave out are bare minimums. They are going to have the ability and I think the desire to significantly over-award those numbers. But I'd like to take a moment, a moment to uh, just thank a few uh, uh, ALPA members here for their uh, solutions that they offered. So it's always, uh, again, that constructive criticism is always appreciated, but uh, particularly Chris Mitchell and uh, Katie Thompson, I'm sure there were more, but, uh, you know, they provided a way to uh, not only poke holes in what we had, but, you know, showed us a, a good way uh, forward. So as soon as Will Swovlin got a handle on that, he immediately recognized the utility of that. He's our membership chairman. Uh, I'd like to take just a moment here to just highlight the work our membership uh, committee does because uh, they spend a lot of time looking at these bids and they do a fantastic job, you know, uh, running them and then also getting our, our new hires up to speed and, uh, you know, working on the hiring process in general. Um, a lot of the work they do also is uh, done on their own free time. They don't hardly ever get drops. And so uh, they, they do a lot of uh, fantastic work for, uh, for all of us here. And I just like to, to thank them for that. Yeah, actually, Chris, I'm going to jump on that. Um, I can tell you in the past two weeks, I think I've talked to Will Swoban more than I've talked to my own wife. So it's, it's a tremendous undertaking that these guys have. And it's, I don't think people realize the, the amount of a heavy lift that this whole project has been. So I'm, I'm right with you. Those guys are just, they're fantastic. They really, really have worked incredibly hard. So thanks for recognizing them. So along those lines, uh, yeah, we'll hand it off to you now and, uh, like you to run through the, the bid process and how that's going to work. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Uh, just to reiterate the awarding process of the EILs and the ELOAs it is limited by base position and we're obligated to award from longest to shortest duration. So with that in mind, the, the revised process works like this in seniority order pilots with a first choice bid of a 24 month duration duration will be awarded and we'll continue down the list looking for everyone with a first choice of a 24 month duration. We'll continue awarding those until we've exhausted the available spots or until we've run out of bids of people looking for 24 months in a, in a first priority or first preference, excuse me. Then we'll go back to the top of the list and in seniority start uh, awarding 18 month durations. But this time we'll look at pilots with either a first or second choice of 18 month. And this allows a pilot to preference 18 month, but to back it up with a 24 month bid. And we'll continue that process all the way down the list. We'll then go back to the top of the list, start the third time through, this time awarding 12-month durations, but also including second and third choice preferences of 18 and 24-month, all the way through the list. And we'll start at the top again with nine-month durations, but this time include up to four preferences all the way through the list. Then start at the top with the last six month duration with up to five preferences. And we'll complete it with up to the six possible choices of all five EIL durations and the ELOA. So every step of the way, uh, the pilots will be able to bid for the duration that's being considered first and each uh, longer duration. ELOAs can be bid at any point, And if you're awarded one by the company, they'll reach out to uh, coordinate the length of duration that that particular pilot is looking for. So this new process allows all awards to follow seniority order 
it allows uh, for the distribution of the EIL durations from longest to shortest. And most importantly, it always allows a senior pilot the option to capture a given duration prior to a junior pilot. That's great news. And so if I'm hearing that right, there's no way for an extended incentive line to be awarded out of seniority order. That's correct. In any given duration, a senior pilot will have the option to bid for that uh, duration before a junior pilot. That's great news. You might not get what you want, but it won't be because your seniority was jumped. That's correct. And I think you said it best at the beginning. It's just bid for what you want. And will that process that you just described, that will happen, am I understanding this right, from each base and seat? Yeah, that's correct. The the LOA language compels us to award these by base position and, and duration from longest to shortest. So when I say we will start at the top, I mean for Portland captains, we'll start at the most senior Portland captain and work down to the most junior Portland captain. And then for the next awarding duration, I'll start back at the top of the list for Portland captains and work back down each time by base. All right. That's going to be a long night for you, I, I imagine. <laughs> Uh, probably, yeah. Well, and I think obviously the company is going to be around for that too, so it'll be a long night for a lot of people. Because that is, I think that's actually an important point. We can joke about it, but um, as these are awarded, the the company still, like I said, they have the ability to over award as they see how these things are awarded and to to get maximum utility out of the program. Yeah, I want to be up there to persuade, persuade, persuade. So I'm going to sit, sit up there with my uh, puppy dog face, pleading for more and more. So. Well, we mentioned the contract compliance number earlier in the podcast, and that's been an effective way to get questions. And we'll address some of the big ones that have been coming often. But I'll remind you, that's a good place to go. If you still have questions, that number is 888-767-2228. So a, a big one is I, there was a lot of confusion generated, I think, by the numbers that were um, included with the, the company's bid that they, they put out. So what what's the story with that? Are, are those real? Yeah, I know those those numbers generated a lot of confusion. And I, I think that the company was trying to make sure that the pilots had some visibility on what preliminary minimums that they might award. But again, those were minimums, and it generated just a lot more questions than answers. And I think that the participation in the program, obviously, their desire is to have it exceed those numbers. Because if you look, that there was also that 1,300 number that they kind of targeted for the, uh, the you know total number that they would award out of these programs. So I, I think, again, that the key point here is that despite whatever target number or preliminary number they may have thrown on there, um, for the program to be successful, they do plan to over-award, and that's indicative um, by looking at the, the 1,300 number. And pilots should, again, just uh, kind of set that aside and, and bid for what they want, want for what they bid, and and know that they're going to over-award them. Yeah, and on that last point, a number of the comments that we're getting are, are just exactly that, that their pilots are afraid that these numbers are so low that they'll never be able to hold one. And I think the point you're making there is important. Just bid what you want. Yeah, that's the frustrating part is that you, you want everybody to bid 
based on what they want. What the, you know, truly, what is it that you want that's best for you and for your family? And the last thing that anybody wants is for somebody to be tailoring their bid based on the expectation that they may or may not get it. Um, you know, it, like vacation bidding. You know, obviously, there's very few Christmas spots, but you sh if you want it, you should bid for it and, and find out and not be dissuaded by the fact that you see that there's just a handful of spots available. And like I said, the, the, the perception that there's a handful of spots available is just that it's a false perception. Right. And I mean, you made the point very well, but people are particularly disappointed that there weren't more retirement early incentive lines. But, you know, I, I think you made the point that it's those were minimums projected. Yeah, and, and I guess I do have to, to continue to make that point that Alpha has a very strong position on this, which is that all of the retirement options, uh, you know, the rails are obviously the one that we believe most strongly in, but even that, that company program should be awarded to the fullest extent possible because it has the most effect on being able to literally take the pressure off of a, uh, a furlough threat. It has the greatest ability for the company to realize cost savings if they look at it long term, right? And not just purely at the uh, the out of pocket costs that they might have to pay in either the the severance options, the you know the direct costs of each program. They are the most effective tool they have, and it is our our strongest opinion that they need to look beyond uh, the size of a check they might have to write to fund one of these programs to make them most effective. So uh, you know we believe that they'll over award them, but uh, I, I'm not beyond flat out saying that they need to over award them. I think it's also worth pointing out too with that one, Will, is that it really does, it cleans up their training footprint a lot and their staffing yeah. projection. So it really, there's there's so many positives to the rail, um, you know, and we've told them that, but I, I think they're great points, but I do want to just throw yeah. that in there. It's it's the most effective way to reduce the static, if you will, the, you know, the complications in the training issues that they face with uh, wanting to transition pilots from one fleet to another. And seriously, the, the economics are there. It's just way easier to look uh, and replace a 30-year employee with potentially a brand new captain <coughs> and have it have a, a very cost-effective long-term um, effect, right? And so the, the, everybody who, who wants that opportunity to either have a rail or even the company early out program should have one. And we've said that, like you just said, run it a thousand times to them. So these numbers that have been published, they're, they vary quite a bit, 1,300 versus the low end of 632. And I think that's created some confusion about what do those mean exactly? Is that any kind of indication of a furlough number that, that would be a potentiality? Do they really need to satisfy the 632 or the 1,300 to avoid the furlough? What can you tell us about that, Will? Yeah, this is one that, that kind of um, really does bear some clarification. You know, these, these numbers are simply a range of the leaves that they're willing to award versus the overall maximum that they think that they might be able to award. And it's completely confusing. Like I said, um, the, the important point to drive home here, though, is that there is no hard furlough minimum, you know, baked into these numbers. There is no number that has to be satisfied that, quote unquote, mitigates a furlough or doesn't or triggers a furlough or anything else like that. And uh, we've said that a few times. We said it on the webinar, and I think it, it bears saying here again that any decision to furlough comes after this program has been evaluated. Um, 
you know, there's some generalities that you can talk about that longer term leaves mitigate furlough risk. And some of these shorter term leaves that are, you know, like the ELOA uh, six or nine month, you know, they, they tend to help more with cash burn risk, which, you know, if, if you really want to call it that, a company's issue of wanting to reduce their cash burn. But in Alpa's position, that also saves money and, and allows them to carry extra pilots rather than have to talk about furloughs. So, um, again, the, these leaves are a staffing flexibility tool, and they don't have uh, the reason that they are a tool like that and a staffing flexibility tool is that they don't have any solid view of what demand looks like for next summer. Um, and that is still an evolving picture. You know, what they are certain about is that they have a need for staffing flexibility and uh to have a little extra time until that becomes clear. And in the end, I guess they'll take a look at the participation in these programs, take a look at the better visibility that they should have on what demand looks like. Uh, you know, we're continuing to see that that get refined on a regular basis, and then they'll decide if a furlough is necessary. And uh, in the event that they, they do decide that they want to forecast a furlough after we've fully participated in these programs, then we uh, we still continue to work through the tools in your CBA in Section 23 to mitigate that if necessary. Kind of a, a long-winded answer, but um, does that cover it, David? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, well another going to throw on there too, mm -hmm. uh, just to reemphasize that one point you made there. Um, you know, no furlough decision is automatic based on the results of this bid. Yeah, that's a much so, cleaner way to put it. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of information there that's important to get out. But uh, I just wanted to make sure that point is clearly uh, understood. You know, after after all that happens, uh, like you said, we still have uh, contractual provisions within Section 23 that are, are, are available to to uh, to discuss if, if required. But uh, this program certainly has the capability, right, to uh, not require any further discussions, uh, depending on the results. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, Chris. I mean, I think a lot of people have in their head that this bid is going to be awarded and then a few days later they're going to announce the furlough number. And that's what you're saying is that is not what's happening. Yeah, it's not automatic. And they've said several times to us that this program has the capability to not require further discussions, that uh, furlough may not be required based on uh, the results at the end of this. Okay. Will Swoblin, a lot of people are wondering if there's some kind of strategy that they should apply to their bidding process. Should they? This bid is so different because, you know, a position bid, you can get a sense of when someone's considering upgrading or not and, and running multiple position bids, we're able to look at the results and kind of make some eh, somewhat accurate uh, forecasts. This bid is something new all entire, entirely. You know, this is really boils down to an individual pilot deciding what's going to work best for them and for their family and having to consider a whole bunch of new programs that have never been um, on the plate before. So as far as forecasting what people are going to select and, and in that same vein, what strategy to go along with it, that really the best advice you can possibly give is just decide what works for you and bid for it. All right. Another question that's been coming up a lot was generated by the letter from VP of Flight Ops Ladner last week, and in, in particular, what's happening with San Francisco and Los Angeles as a base. 
Yeah, that that letter actually left a lot of questions, created more questions, I should say, than it answered. And uh, you know, I know that Will put out a chairman's note to uh, Ladner asking for clarification, but even that clarification is not exactly. It, it's not. It doesn't give you a lot of confidence as to how to bid, and that's one of the things that I'm I'm hearing a lot from the folks down in San Francisco and Los Angeles as to they're seeking additional clarity from us as a union as to which direction to go or how to bid this thing. I mean, there's a lot of anxiety with this bid itself um, with just what do I do? Do I go out in a 12 month or 18 month? And what's that going to look like? Um, the only thing that I will tell you that I, I take a lot of, um, it makes me feel a little bit better about this is that this is an opportunity to kind of sit on the sidelines and take a time out, um, let this thing work its way out. We don't have any further clarity than what was in the letter and what was responded to us publicly. So we do not know what the fleet plan is or the staffing decision is going to be for 12 to 24 months from now. So again, the, the really the huge benefit to this program is you do get an opportunity to basically punch out for a year or two sit back and um, let it sort itself out. It is unfortunate that it's the same, it's the California bases that are, are getting reshuffled again um, for the third. Um, and really, if you if you look at the early February bid of closing LA Airbus, it'll be the fourth time in a brief six or eight month period. But um, without any further clarity, it's really difficult to, to give people solid advice the one thing I will say, and I think it's worth reinforcing, is while folks are out on these, um, you know, maybe Will Swobin can talk this a little bit here too, but while folks are out on these EILs, um, it's, it's really important that they participate in bidding. And that's one of the things that is, is going to be required of people is when they go out. They do want to make sure that even though they're on the extended incentive line, they still get the benefit of bidding. So your seniority will hold what your seniority will hold and you become what's called a paper bid. And uh, you, so you're protected. And when you come back, you either come back, if uh, you wanted to maintain an Airbus seat, you come back and you maintain your Airbus seat if your seniority will hold it. And if not, you got to exercise your seniority while you're taking advantage of an EIL. So. Um, from that respect, it's, it's a really, really good program that does still um, respect seniority and uh, make sure that people are taken care of. But yeah, I mean, the inconsistent messaging is, is really difficult and not being able to make clear decisions as well, David. But I think it's also the long term viability of what's going to happen to San Francisco is in question as well, which we don't have clear answers to either. So. Yeah, Ronan, I'm, I'm glad you emphasized that point because, y yes, it's an option to uh, participate in the position bids. But even more than that, you're obligated to. You're still considered an active pilot, even if you're away from the company for 12, 18, 24 months. You know, you are subject to recall if things really turned around and they needed pilots back. So to protect yourself while you're out on these extended incentive lines, you have to be paying attention to when these position bids come out and fully bid to protect yourself or you know, bid for what you want, want for what you bid, because failing to submit a bid, 
you are exposed to the same risks as if you were here working every day. And if you don't submit a bid with your preferences uh, to fully cover yourself in the event, you know, your position is reduced while you're gone, you open yourself up to 24E6, which is essentially the company is going to figure out where's the cheapest place to put you. And that's has nothing to do with maybe where you want to end up. So, you know, in, enjoy your time on your EIL and what else, whatever else you're doing, but make sure you participate in the position bid process as it unfolds over the next couple of years. Yep, exactly. And I think the beauty of it is, is that if you're in one of those bases that's going to be affected by fleet realignment or you're a junior captain and potentially, you know, you're in a position where you'd find yourself bounced around various bases to protect your check, um, you know, your pay rate, at least now it happens on paper. And instead of going through, you know, a couple of potential displacements or forced moves or training cycles from upgrades and downgrades, now you literally can sit around and watch from the sidelines and come in at the end and do just one training cycle. At least that's the idea to your final position. And and that's, I think, appealing for people who are going to be in that position. I hope it is. There is one thing I'd like to drive home again, which is, I know it's been driven home a couple of times, but I, I would, I'd like to take an opportunity out of it as well. Um, another part about this, David, that's, that's tough on the folks down in the California basis is the, um, the again, we, and I know we've talked about it a couple of times already, but it's worth emphasizing the target confusion. You know, not only are they looking at a, um, a base realignment and have potentially having to, to, to go up and do a fleet um, reshuffle and a, a potential base reshuffle, but they don't really know. You know, I have had several folks that are calling me just going, I, I don't know. I don't think I can. I, I really don't believe I can hold based on the numbers that were published, a 24-month or an 18-month, and I'd like to sit it out. So, again, I, I would refer you back to the earlier conversation from uh, Chris Gruner that the, the target is just that it's a minimum. And um, just to, to, to absolutely bid, Will Slogan says, bid what you want because um, it, it is causing confusion. And I just want to make sure people that really, really hear that part. You know, another question that that letter from Ladner brought up, and I was surprised to see it, is the sort of announcement of a of a bid, and that it, that would he indicated that it would occur while this other bid is happening. That it seems like odd timing to me. It's it's something. It's it's very odd timing. It's bad timing. Um, I'll just be point blank on that, and that's why I I put it into that letter to uh, to VP of Flight Ops John Ladner. the The concern is is that for this program to be effective and for you to have the least amount of adverse impact to the pilots who are being uh, you know impacted by this this fleet realignment, you really need to know the results of these programs, the EIL program awards and the um, ELOAs, and of course the, the retirement options. You have to know who is your active flying group of pilots and who your pilots are that are kind of on the sidelines, if you will, on paper. And that's how you craft a position bid that has the least amount of impact on the pilots. And that has just absolutely, uh, Ronan will probably jump out of his seat here too, in terms of our strongest opinion that you need to wait on your position bid until you get the results of these programs. Um, and, and that's why we're, we're here to protect the pilots and that's how you do it is by waiting. Exactly right. Well, that's exactly, that's, 
it's basically the whole premise of this program and the the real savings are gained through reduction of uh, training cycles and then plus it just messes with pilots a lot less so let's just uh, get it get get step one before we move to step two but yeah you're absolutely right i don't I know will... oh i'm sorry david go ahead I was going to say, Will, I know you've mentioned this on a number of communications out to the pilots, but significantly you have also mentioned this directly to management. Oh, it, this this has been mentioned to every level of management. And I get it that maybe there's a desire to get training done while the CARES Act funding is in place, but do you want it to be effective training that has the least amount of impact on your pilots who you've already taken through the ringer on two failed bids? Or do you want it to be you know, uh, training this deferred by a, a small margin in order to have the most cost effective solution for you and the, the most, um, you know, seamless transition and least painful transition for the pilots impacted. I would argue the latter. Right. All right. Well, we just covered a lot of questions and a lot of topics. Let's just recap that real quickly. And again, a reminder for that phone line is 888-767-2228. And if you have specific questions about retirement, probably the best place to have those answered is either with Senior Benefit Specialist Victoria Brady or the RNI Chairman Sid Graham, and their contact information is on that website I, I mentioned earlier, and which is also on the show notes. So basically, in quick summary, bid what you want, want what you bid. Think about it a little bit like vacation bidding in that sense. Remember that they can and probably will over award. So those numbers that you saw are, are not necessarily accurate. When running your financial numbers, don't forget to include the value of vacation and 401k contributions that will continue. And your seniority rights are protected during the system bid. So if you're a junior captain or are in a base that is subject to change, you might benefit from watching on the sidelines. Yep, and I think maybe the, the one last piece, if you were going to recap here, is just simply remember that uh, with the way that we've revised the award process, that you really can safely bid what you want and not have to worry about it because the seniority rights will be protected throughout the entire award process. Okay, thank you, Will. And, and before we wrap this up, finally, I think a few comments are probably warranted again after the recent message from Ben Minicucci that was sent out to the entire, or actually the entire employee group. Yeah, that, that's exactly kind of the point is that every time that they put out, it's like the uniform, they put out a company-wide comm, and I think that the pilots uh, read it through the, the lens that it was directed exclusively at the pilot group. And we should reemphasize that that, letter from Ben was a company-wide comm and not specific, you know, to the pilots, especially if, if you take a step back and think about it, when they say they're going to reduce headcount by 3,000, well, there's only 3,000 pilots, right? Um, how the, the company deals with their staffing issues that he alluded to is governed by your CBA. So when it comes to the pilots, it's governed by your CBA. And these leaves that we've been talking about for the last uh, you know, hour or so here, that's the first step. And then, you know, if there are further reduction issues that uh, that they want to forecast, as we said, we'll work within the confines of your CBA. Uh, you know, Chris said this a few times on the webinar. I've said this many, many times, and it always bears repeating that your CBA remains unchanged. There is no such thing as mandatory concessionary bargaining. 
And it, it's kind of weird. We said this on the webinar that we hear this all the time where pilots are asking about concessions. Um, you know, management cannot make unilateral changes to your CBA. You will vote on changes, you know, and that we're only interested in advancing your interests when it comes to things like that, right? Um, as you direct us, just as the process is supposed to play out. Uh, we heard a little bit about cash burn zero again, and I get it that that's their company initiative. That's their, their company program that they are really driving towards, but it is not your problem. And that's something for you to, to keep in mind that they may want you to feel like that's your imperative that somehow uh, you need to contribute deeply to that cash burn zero. But, you know, for example, these leaves are a pro pilot way in which we actually are as a pilot group saving them costs. And as I said in the webinar, there is nothing that we must do. Uh, company has good liquidity and nobody should feel like there's an imperative to do anything when you receive these emails. You know, we have time and nothing changes unless the pilots vote that something should change. It's just a, a key point. I think that we're gonna hear that several times as we move forward in the next year where company comms are gonna come out and people are gonna feel that they're either directed directly at us as a pilot group when they're they're corporate wide or feel like there's an imperative to somehow react to them. And we've gotten through this thing so far by not overreacting and by taking our time and uh, reiterating that nothing changes. We just take it one step at a time and we always continue to move in a pro-pilot fashion. Well, before we get into our closing thoughts, I know a lot of work has gone into this whole program in a number of committees and a number of committee members. Yeah, I think there's absolutely, there's no shortage of thanks to kind of go around. It has been a hectic couple of weeks and every committee has been in kind of an all hands on deck stance in order to uh, to bring things together. Um, I will, maybe we'll just kind of like go around the, the horn here, but I will start by thanking our contract compliance volunteers because ever since we set up that, that call in line this week, we've had record numbers of calls. And I understand that they have been working very diligently um, and quickly to call everybody back. And that uh, seriously, these are long, hard days for them. So for Mike Reinmuth and his team, a huge shout out and a thank you. And uh, then uh, I guess Gruner, you got any thoughts on who you want to thank? Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly the rest of the negotiating committee with uh, Rob and Drew. Honestly, everybody's been laser focused on trying to pick these things apart and uh, get in front of issues and, and identify them. Um, additionally, the uh, scheduling committee, um, I know in particular Scott Rubin, um, Jake Woods, Jim Tedford, and Justin Albright have all put a tremendous amount of work into uh, you know helping develop these programs and uh, move things along as well. Well, I don't think that Swovelin's going to thank himself, so I'll I'll take a moment just to membership-wise too, in terms of who's been burning the uh, the midnight oil and things like that on the weekends. It's been uh, a lot of phone conversations with him, Ronan, everybody. So it there's there's no shortage of it, and I again, it's just been a hectic couple of weeks, and so I guess maybe David will give a big blanket thank you. Yeah, Ronan, I'll give you a thanks too, because I I think maybe people don't know all the hard work that you were you have put into doing analytics work and that's been really helpful and instrumental in having what we have today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, David. Appreciate that. 
And another committee that we definitely should thank is the Retirement Insurance Committee. And Sid Graham and uh, working alongside with Victoria Brady, our benefit specialist, as well as, of course, the entire committee with uh, Shane Roble and Jerry Trabhagen. They, they take so many questions and so many of them are so highly individualized to for each pilot. And so they have an extra lift that I think goes beyond some of the other committees. Again, huge thanks. And I'll say, again, thank you very much for the kind words. It is genuinely inspiring to see the work ethic and the grit of this group as they, you know, as we kind of get through all of this and it's, it's also a privilege to volunteer for this pilot group. Will, I know you have some closing thoughts. Oh, sure. I, I, I think that Swolton actually said things pretty well too, that a lot of this starts and ends and is successful when everybody is you know, performing as they should be, and that includes this pilot group. Um, I say it all the time, but the the unity, the discussion, um, the feedback, and that the involvement that the pilot group demonstrates is what enables you know the volunteers to be successful, and that professionalism is key as we move forward. Um, on a more kind of global aspect, I guess I'll always say that you know now more than ever um, is not. The time to allow anxiety to impact that unity. As I've said, the company is going to continue to ramp up communications about cost-cutting measures. Um, we're going to continue to hear about the you know, staffing and other airlines, and there's still going to be the issues of rumors. And uh, yeah, I, I've said it before, but anxiety is a, is an absolutely wasted emotion. Um, we have to concentrate on facts and the things that we can control. The fact is that nothing is urgent. And again, the threats that we face are within our control to address. Um, the fact is that Section 6 goals are still very much in our focus, and we haven't changed any of that just because the, the landscape has changed that we're navigating through. And you know, finally, the fact is that even if the companies continue to make moves to uh, advance their agenda, these leaves are going to allow pilots to advance their own agendas on their own terms. And, and I get it, it varies, but uh, if you can live on the guarantees of the EIL or make a little money on the side, you have a good opportunity with these to avoid uh, a lot of the awkward transitions ahead, regardless of how the, the company moves forward and executes. All right, well, thank you, Will, and thank you all for coming in and speaking with me today. Thanks, David, very much. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. been listening to the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. Thank you for listening, and thank you especially for being engaged with the work of your union. 